In John 1, verse 18, we read, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. And in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 20, verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now these and many other passages of Holy Writ are based is based the instruction of our catechism in Lord's Day 13. Why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God? Since we are also the children of God. Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God. But we are children adopted of God by grace and for his sake. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus made us his own property. There is, we said last, Sunday morning, beloved, there is only one Jesus, and there cannot be a second one. There is only one Christ, and there cannot be another one. In all the history of the world, there is only one Jesus, and there is only one Christ. Now really, the fundamental reason for the scripture, and also very obvious fact, is that that one Jesus and that one Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus 
must be God. Christ must be God. And Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God. There is no other God. There is no other Son of God that can possibly reveal unto us the Father. To put it in a very common way, God has no more children. He has only one son. No more. And that one son is for that very reason the complete, perfect, infinite image of the Father. There is no need of another son. The son reveals the father in all his fullness. He is the only begotten, according to Scripture. And that only begotten son revealed the Father to us in human nature. Christ not only spoke of the Father, Christ not only revealed the Father and the God of our salvation, in a speech, Christ is the complete revelation of the Father. He is that. He is that, beloved, because he is Emmanuel, the Son of God in human nature. God with us. He is that throughout his sojourn on earth and the years 1 to 33 A.D. God revealed himself and made known to us himself as the Father, as our Father, as the God of our salvation. For in, in that period, the year 1 to 33 A.D., which are set apart from any other period in all history, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that period, beloved, 1 to 33. 
Well, really, all history concentrates around that period. In that period, God sent his son, his son, his only begotten son, into the world, into our flesh. In that period, Jesus was born at Bethlehem. In that period, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. In that period, Jesus performed all his mighty acts and wonders as the revelation of the God of our salvation. He is that. When he opened the eyes of the blind, when he opened the ears of the deaf, when he cured the lame and the sick, and when he raised the dead, he revealed himself as the God of our salvation come down to us. He revealed himself as the God of our salvation in his death on the cross. He revealed himself as the God of our salvation in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his sitting at the right hand of the Father. In that period, God revealed himself in a way that was never revealed before, that was far richer and far greater than all the revelation in nature, in creation, in providence. Revealed himself through the only begotten Son, in the flesh as the God of our salvation. Therefore, don't you see, it is absolutely necessary that Christ, that Jesus, is the only begotten Son and that all modernism ancient as well as present, must be condemned as unchristian, as heathenish, when they claim, as the Albert Catechism suggests here, that yes, Jesus is, Jesus is God, but we are God too. Jesus is the Son of God, but we are children of God too in the same breath. Oh, no. The Catechism teaches very plainly the distinction in this Lord's day. And to the distinction, we must call your attention briefly. The distinction between our sonship and Jesus' sonship, when we speak to you on the only begotten Son, our Lord, and briefly speak of a unique sonship, and a loving lordship. Scripture, beloved, it speaks of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God without any doubt, everywhere. In the Old Testament already and in the New. You know that. In the words uh, that I read from John 1, that's very evident. Here is a very strong 
There is strong text in the original, especially in, in the 18th verse. In the 18th verse, you read in the original, really, and no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten God, instead of the only begotten Son. The only begotten God, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And of course, in the 14th verse, it's very plain too, and the Word was made flesh. That's Christ, of course, made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Besides all the works of Jesus, as I said a moment ago, all the works of Jesus testify uh, that he is divine. That he is divine in distinction from us. We are children of God too, but Christ is unique. He is the only begotten Son. More, all the works of Christ, apart from his wonders and signs, are undoubtedly divine. He has the right and he claims the right to forgive sins. That's divine. That's a divine attribute. The forgiveness of sin is due to divine power. Divine privilege. And so it is with the fact that he may be worshipped and allows himself to be worshipped. As Thomas does when he says, My Lord and my God. All scripture teaches simply that Jesus is, in a unique sense of the word, the Son of God. There's no question about that. And that the catechism here uh, emphasizes the distinction between the eternal sonship of Christ and our sonship is simply due to the fact that from the earliest period of the history of the doctrine of the church, uh, the divinity of Christ has been denied and still is denied or camouflaged. You know, already at the time of Arius and the third and fourth centuries of our era, it was denied that Christ is distinctly divine. He exalted Christ very highly and made him one of the first creatures of God, but nevertheless, he is not essentially God according to Arius. And that same heresy has been proclaimed in the church uh, many and many times, also at the time of the Reformation. The Socinians, 
Of course, they do the same thing. You do, Unitarians do the same thing today. Always, the divinity of Christ is the stumbling block over which they that do not want Christ stumble. And therefore, we have this distinction. Let's look at the distinction a moment. The distinction is between a sonship by adoption and a sonship by nature, natural sonship. A sonship, therefore, in time, for adoption is in time, and a sonship in eternity. Our sonship is in time. Christ's sonship is in the sphere of eternity. A sonship in regard to creation, to the creature, and a sonship in the Creator, in God Himself. That is the distinction. You know what it means when the Catechism tells us that we are children by adoption. You know, of course, what adoption means because adoption takes place even in our own human life. Uh, parents that either have no children or parents uh, that are in sympathy with orphans, uh, sometimes adopt children. And by the act of adoption, uh, they uh, simply express uh, that they give to a certain child which has no natural right of a child to give to a certain child the right of children. The rights of children. They give to uh, such a child the right to their love, to the love of the adopting parents. They give to that child the right to their care. They give to that child the right to live in their home. They even give to that child the right of their name and of their inheritance. That is the legal idea of adoption. 
In that sense, we, as children of God in the present time, are adopted. God adopts us to be his children. But before the adoption, beloved, we are not simply strangers, but we are sinners. We are enemies, hostile over against God. But God adopts us. That means, therefore, that God gives us the right to be called after his name. To be called his sons. So that we may say, we are sons of God. It means that God assures us that he will always love us. That he will always, in time and in eternity, everlastingly, care for us, provide us with every good thing as the baptism form had it this morning and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. That's the Father's business. It means too uh, that uh, God will give us the right to his own inheritance, the right to the inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that never fadeth away in the eternal glory in the tabernacle of God. That is adoption. And beloved, I think, and the more I think of it, the more I think, Uh, that this is one of the greatest comforts for the Church of Jesus Christ. It's much greater comfort for us uh, that we know that God adopts us freely, without any merit, yea, without demerit, that God adopts us freely. And then to know that we are children of God by regeneration. You know, that regeneration is so small. It's just a small principle. Oh, we know that we are regenerated, all right. We know that we have the faith and so on and so forth. But you know, there's so much sin. There's so much sin. 
There's so much depravity in us still. There's so much worldliness. We are so imperfect that if we must die, yeah, live too, of course, if we must live in the assurance of our spiritual sonship by regeneration, I don't think I would like, I would uh, have much confidence. I wouldn't have much confidence. But you know, as imperfect as our spiritual sonship is, so perfect is our sonship by adoption. That's always the same. Always. That's our comfort, don't you know? That never changes. By faith, we know that we are children of God, though we don't look like children at all. We don't, that's all. Oh yeah, we, we know, we do. We have a small, a small beginning of the new obedience, but... Uh, uh, that uh, similarity uh, of children of God is very, very imperfect in us, but this, this, this is perfect. This is always perfect. We know that we are children of God that can never be changed. We know that by faith. That's perfect, and that's eternal. Uh, the adoption unto sons of God, of course, was from eternity. I think that's one of the most glorious comforts for the Christian. That we know that before God, before God, we are, we are eternally children. We stand there as children, children in air. From eternity. He hath engraven us in both the palms of his hands. In eternity, of course. He looks at us. He looks at us as engraven in both the palms of his hands. That's adoption. Eternity. Oh, that adoption is realized in time. The eternal adoption of the children is realized in the cross when God uh, blotted out all our transgression and sins and when through Christ we were reconciled unto him and through his resurrection we were uh, justified and manifested to be justified and uh, uh, when Christ is in glory, we are glorified with him. And that adoption unto children is, will be realized in the future, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, when God will say in judgment, These are my children forevermore, and were my children from eternity. All that is true, but nevertheless, beloved, when we know by faith 
that our adoption unto sons of God is perfect. 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 In eternal. That ought to be one of the greatest comforts of our life. And it should be. Because what we cannot do, God does. We, we are, can adopt children, but we can never make our, of our adopted children our own. But God does. He does that through regeneration by the Holy Spirit and so on and so forth. So when the catechism says we are with children by adoption through Jesus Christ and by his grace, the catechism means undoubtedly that we are children not only legally by adoption but also spiritually by regeneration and that that uh, uh, regeneration will be perfected at the day of Christ so that we are perfect children of God, even in our manifestation. That is true. But now, that's not true of Christ. Mind you, we speak of Christ. We do not speak of the Trinity, we speak of Christ. The Word. The man, Jesus Christ, that was born in Bethlehem, that died on the cross, that was raised on the third day, that was exalted at the right hand of God, that man is personally the eternal, natural, only begotten Son of God. That's our faith. And uh, that's the very basis of our faith. If that is not so, our whole faith collapses. All of it. But that's so. According to Scripture, that's the truth. Notice, the Catechism says, Christ is the natural Son of God. Christ. The Jesus we know is the natural Son of God. That is, of course, He is the Son of God in virtue of His own nature and essence. Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel is personally God, the Son of God, personally, and that person of the Son of God has a divine nature, and the divine nature is begotten. Begotten of God. Eternally begotten. In eternity. So that the Father generates the Son from all eternity to eternity. Within, within the divine being. That Son of God. 
the second person of the Holy Trinity. That Son of God, the only, the only Son of God. The Son of God that is the perfect and infinite image of the Father, so that all that is in the Father is also in Him. That Son of God is Christ. That's Christ. That's Jesus. And beloved, that is necessary to believe. Otherwise, we lose all our faith. Never, never give up uh, that truth that Jesus Christ is really the natural and eternal Son of God. We are sons of God as creatures. We are images of God as creatures, reflections, partial reflection. Maybe that's not the right word, but creaturely reflections. Anyway, creaturely reflections of the image of God. Christ is a divine reflection. He is the Son of God who reflects, who is the image of the Father in infinite perfection. Christ is the eternal Son of God. His Sonship is eternal. Our sonship is a sonship of adoption in eternity, but by the counsel of God. Our sonship is a sonship by the will of God. Christ's sonship is a sonship by his own right, by his own essence, by his own nature. Let's maintain that, beloved, because, oh, if it were only, if it were only because we must maintain uh, that our sins are blotted out in the blood of the cross, if only we maintain that. You know, the moment we say that that man that died on the cross is a man, we lose the atonement. We lose the fact that Christ could die for the sins of his elect. We lose that. There's nothing left of it. We lose the forgiveness of sins because only the infinite Son could satisfy for the sin committed against the infinite majesty of God. And if Christ is not the infinite Son of God, his death is vain. 
then he died without atoning for our sins at all. And therefore, let us confess these, beloved. Christ is the only begotten Son while we are children of God for his sake. And so, even because of that, because Christ is the only begotten Son, he can be our Lord, our Lord. Of course, you understand, beloved, we do not speak now of the Lordship of the Son of God in the, in the divine nature. Of course, the Son of God is Lord by virtue of being the Son of God. That's, that's the reason. He's Lord forever. He's Lord in his divine being, in his divine person, is the Son of God, and therefore he's Lord. He's Lord over all. He's Lord by virtue of being the Creator, that Son of God. All things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So he's Lord by virtue of creation. That's not the question. Uh, Christ is Lord. Oh, that Lordship is rooted in the fact that he is the Son of God. But nevertheless, Christ is Lord according to his human nature. He's Lord as our mediator. What does that mean? The Catechism says, beloved, that means that Christ possesses us. That's one thing. That's Lordship. Christ possesses us. He possesses us as his own property. We, we are his. So that he can do with us as he pleases. We are his property. The Lordship of Christ, however, beloved, it means in the second place uh, that he is responsible for us. That's a beautiful thought of the Lordship. Christ is responsible for us. We talk a good deal of responsibility. That is, we don't with the others. Responsible. Well, beloved, by faith, I cast all my responsibility on Christ. Christ is responsible for me. Oh, I know that doesn't mean that I'm not a responsible moral being. But nevertheless, it means, beloved, that Christ answers for me with God, not I. I wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't want to. I can help that. But I wouldn't like to be responsible for myself. And you don't either. No sinner does. 
I'm not. I know that before the Father, Christ intercedes in such a way that he says to the Father, I'm responsible for that child of mine. I'm responsible. And I know too that in the day of judgment, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, Christ will say the same thing. He'll say, he'll say of his elect, these are mine. I'm responsible for them. I died for them. I rose for them. They're mine. That's all. That's, that's the way I can, I can stand the judgment. Otherwise, I wouldn't even dare to stand it. Whether I have to or not, I wouldn't dare to stand it here in judgment. Not by myself. But I don't. In judgment, Christ is responsible for me. And Christ says, they are mine. In the third place, it means that even as with body and soul, we are his property, and even as with body and soul, he is responsible for us, so with body and soul, he makes his will, our will. His mind, our mind. So that we become willing to serve him. That is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God in our flesh, who died for us and rose again, and is seated at the right hand of God, and maketh intercession for us. That's the lordship. And therefore, beloved, we say, as far as the Lordship is concerned, we belong to Thee, O Lord. Thou art our Lord, and therefore, with body and soul, we belong to Thee. We are Thy property. That's our confession. We say, when we say Jesus is our Lord, my Lord, we say, Jesus, thou art responsible for us, for me. Thou art responsible for me now before the face of God, and thou art responsible for me in the day of judgment. I am not responsible for my sin. I'm not. That's all that's to it. I'm not. I won't be. Not responsible for my sin. Christ is. And that's a very dangerous doctrine, be beloved. Perhaps a dangerous doctrine to say, yes, but don't forget. The third element of the Lordship of Christ is that I say to him, because he makes his mind my mind, and his will my will, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? That settles it. First I say, 
I'm done. Body and soul. Next I say, thou art responsible for me. I'm not. Third I say, thou makest my will thy will and thy mind my, my mind. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Yeah. That's Christianity. That's the Christian faith. It's certainly not the Christian faith to say, you must, you must, you must, you must, you must. That's not Christian. Oh, no. It is Christian to say, I belong to the Lordship of Jesus. And because I belong to the Lordship of Jesus, He is responsible for me. And I'm willing and anxious and ready with my whole heart, though in all kinds of imperfection, to serve him and to follow in his precepts. The reason is, beloved, that the Lordship of Jesus is a loving Lordship. A loving Lordship. That's why. Don't forget that either. It's not a Lordship of compulsion. It isn't. It's not a Lordship of must. It is not. It's not a lordship of the law. It's not a lordship of a yoke. It's the lordship of love. For as the Heidelberg Catechism says, he's my lord first because he bought me. He bought me. Bought me with what? With money? Oh no. He purchased me with his own precious blood, with the blood of the cross. He gave his life for me in order that he might be my Lord. He gave his life for me because he wanted me to be his servant. That's why he gave his life for me. He redeemed me. Redeemed me. Purchased me free with the price of love. He loved me because. He loved me, beloved. That is why I became his servant. And he became my Lord. A lordship of love. And not only that, but even as he purchased me with the blood of his cross, with the blood of redemption, so it was with the power of love that he entered by his Holy Spirit into my heart. And when he had entered by his Holy Spirit into my heart, 
and made me sincerely willing to call him my Lord. Then, then, I said, I said, not because of any must, not because of any compassion, and not because of any law, not because of any necessity, not because of any motives, apart from the motive of love, not even because I'm afraid I go to hell, nothing, nothing, nothing but the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that love I say, my Lord and my God forever. That is, beloved, that is the Christian faith. The only begotten Son who revealed to us the Father. And the years 1 to 33 A.D. The only begotten Son who became in his human nature my Lord by buying me by his precious blood who became my Lord with the power of love in my heart. The only begotten Son is my Lord and my God forever. Amen. Thanks, O Lord. Thanks for the gospel. Thanks for the preaching of the gospel. Thanks for all thy goodness which thou showest unto us at the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for the adoption unto children and heirs. Thanks for the hope eternal that in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ he shall be responsible for us. Thanks for thy grace O Lord, for thy everlasting grace. We pray, wilt thou sanctify thy word unto us. Wilt thou bless us in the rest of this day. Wilt thou also remember us in the days that we shall not meet one another. Keep us and guide us and strengthen us until we meet one another once more by thy good will over us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.